Welcome to the Evolvepreneur podcast channel, which is sponsored by Evolvepreneur.biz, a new online community-based platform designed to help develop your skills and knowledge to be massively successful in this new digital age. Your host today is John North, who is a three-time number one international best-selling author and strategic marketer. John's passion is to help business owners to master the online marketing world. Welcome to Evolvepreneur Podcast with John North. My special guest today is Aaron Levy, who is a founder and CEO of Raise the Bar, a firm focused on helping companies retain their millennium talent. Aaron's on a mission to transform the manager's role from empowering managers with tools and skills to be better leaders of people. So welcome, Aaron. Thanks for coming along today. Thank you for having me on, John. Um, it's great to get started. It's the first one of the, for the year, so we're, um, I've been a bit slack and haven't done many recordings lately, so I must get into it again. So it's good that you, um, you prompted me and we started, made a start on it. So tell me a little bit about your background. So um, did you, is this your first business? Have you been in business for a while or how did you come about to be an entrepreneur essentially? Yeah, um, great question. I have, uh, I've been a part of a couple of startups now. This is the first one that I am the, the founder and CEO. I was the first employee at a health and well-being startup uh, that we ran for six years. And then I was at a uh, actuarial consulting firm uh, where we studied the science of human performance and its impact on business workplace results. Um, both those were, were startups, you know, from ground up, going up and have just had the experience and wanted to be a part of creating, building something. Uh, I think that was always a part of my DNA, even from when I was a kid. I used to do garage sales. When we didn't need to sell anything um, from our house, we'd put a sign up and say, for sale. And my mom would say, what's going on? And I would say, mom, we're selling whatever's in our garage because I can make money off of this. So uh, yeah, it's just been a, it's been something that I've been doing for a while. And, and I was excited when I noticed that there's this problem in the space that, that there was to solve. Right. Okay. So tell me a little bit about like, you, you know, I, I guess we all know the millenniums are very different. In fact, I'm employing one myself. So maybe I'll get some skills off here because I've employed my son um, just recently starting the business. And um, yeah, it's kind of like you, you think back when you started and, and they're very different. Um, you know, I was very nervous at start at work and very excited and they, they sort of seem to take everything in their stride a bit, I think, too. So tell me a little bit about um, why they're really they're different in terms of, of, you know, say our generation or generations before. Yeah, I think there's a number of different factors, but one of the biggest reasons is millennials are just different because we've grown up in a different generation. We've grown up mm. with different deciding, inciting incidents. Um, and we... You know, whereas boomers see work as a career, Gen Xers see work as a job, millennials really see it more as a calling. Um, they have more of a loyalty to their community. They value contribution. They are looking for, you know, three main things they look for out of their work is purpose, is connection, is growth. That's very different than what people were asking out of the workplace, workplace before. That's not to say that the boomers or Gen Xers don't want purpose, don't want connection, don't want growth. It just means they weren't looking for their employer to provide that for them. And that's really what millennials are looking for. Um, and it's the basis of a lot of changes in the consumer market where mm. companies are starting to talk about what's our corporate social responsibility? How do we market ourselves to millennials in the world? Um, but then companies internally are also starting to say, how do we market ourselves to attract millennials to, to work at our company? Because before we know it, we're going to have this huge gap where we have boomer leaders 
and we have millennials that just just coming in and we have no one in between mm, nobody to actually do the work yeah <laughs> you know, a bunch of managers and no actual employees yeah. so i guess and that a lot of the millennials get quite attracted to the the it type businesses where they're very different in their in the way that they do their employment um because you, you see a lot of the you know the bigger companies like google and stuff like that they've got a very different sort of culture about the way they employ people um, does that sort of chase away the the people that are the older generation in that respect is it is it is an organization sort of have difficulty now attracting all sorts of levels or they they're focusing on millennials only and hoping that's the way to go there you know what i find is actually they're you're kind of getting the uh, yeah the opposite effect they're not focusing at all on boomers i've talked to many people above 50 who are looking for um for some jobs that millennials might be looking for too and they're just because of their age they're they're really not getting the same opportunities companies are really really hyper focused on hiring attracting and retaining millennial talent uh, because that's the future of their organization in you know less than 10 years six, seven years, 75% of the workforce, at least in America, is going to be millennial. Um, mm. So companies have to do a good job of attracting and then also have to do an even better job of keeping that talent. Uh, otherwise, they're not going to be relevant in 10 years. It's just like mm. it's just a numbers game. They won't be relevant. There's not, there won't be enough people working in their company. So what, what do they leave? Why do the millennials leave a company? Like, is, you know, once upon a time, it used to be, you know, like we always to say, you'd, you'd you'd leave because of the boss. Um, you probably start because of the boss and leave because of the boss because at the end of the day, that was the the driving force in the business. But I think millennials still think very differently about the way that they why they would leave. So it's actually an interesting answer to this question because um, I spent a lot of my time before starting this company thinking about that question: Why are millennials leaving? I was a millennial. I am a millennial. I'm right in the middle of the uh, of the age range. And I had friends jumping from job to job to job, great jobs where they were at these high tech companies in Silicon Valley of San Francisco and they had all the food you wanted and they had ping pong tournaments at lunch and they had beer on tap and they had free liqueur, all the, the cool stuff you think about. One of my friends mm. didn't have any food in his fridge at his house because he ate all of his food <laughs> at work. And I, literally, I went to visit him and there was no food in the refrigerator. I said, where do you eat? He goes, at work. And, you know, we have all these perks and all the things you think that are exciting when you think about a tech company. And I, he ultimately left and he went to another one and he left that one too. And I started to ask questions. I'm a coach by trade and a, and a facilitator. And so I want to understand what's behind this. And I started to look and dive into every single leave story and say, well, what's the reason you left? Or what's the reason you're even thinking about leaving? And after talking to hundreds of people, I realized there was one of three or mo usually all three factors that contributed to it. One is, I, th I think I said it already, but one is I want purpose in the work I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I want to know that I'm making an impact. The work itself should be purposeful, but the company doesn't need to be solving all the world's problems, but I want to know that I'm having an impact, that I have purpose for being here, that I'm not just a cog in the wheel. Secondly, I want to know that I'm connected to my team, to my company, to my boss. I want to feel this level of connection. Thirdly, I want to feel like my company cares deeply about my growth and development. And here's where the question that you ask gets interesting because those are all perceptions, purpose, mm -hmm. connection, mm -hmm. growth. Those are perceptions. I can't give that to you. You can't. Pretty you know, hard to. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hard to like touch and grab, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so what companies do is they give free lunches and they have uh, you know their mission statement on the wall and they uh, they work on all these things and they put together high potential programs or they give their people unlimited budgets to go do any kind of training they want. And they say, hey, we're taking care of growth. But that doesn't do it. It just doesn't. I've, I've had people that I've talked to have left companies like that and said the company doesn't care about my growth. And I started to say, what's really here? And then I realized, what's the biggest point of leverage within any organization to actually influence and impact these three perceptions? It's their manager. Mm-hmm. So when you said it used to be they leave because of the manager, it's still they leave because of the manager. It's because the manager isn't invested in their growth and development. It's because mm-hmm. the manager mm-hmm. isn't connected with them, right? isn't giving them feedback, isn't recognizing them, isn't hearing them, isn't working with them, right? isn't connecting them to the purpose and the work that they're doing. And so that's what this big gap is and that's what the work we do at Raise the Bar is actually really hyper-focused on is how do we give managers the tools and skills to be better leaders, to be better coaches of their people because that's what millennials are looking for. Because mm. once upon a time, you know, you got a job and you stuck with it because you couldn't get another one. Um, nowadays, it's it's fairly easy to get a job. I mean, in Australia, the unemployment level is around, around about 5%. That's what so, it is in Chicago. Yeah, so the reality is is that if you if you can't get a job, there's probably something wrong with you, right? So at the end of the day, there's something wrong with your approach or there's you know, there's some reason why they're not employed. Maybe you're too old or too young or something like that for the jobs you're going for. But the reality is you should be able to get another job. And so their thought process are, well, I'll just get another job. And they're probably living at home, living off their parents anyway, so they probably don't care, right? And a lot of the times it's you can get a job fairly quickly, right? You, mm-hmm. you start looking for your next job while you're still in your current job. Yeah. I mean, people do it a number of different ways, but there's a lot of times this disengagement factor where they kind of say, this isn't for me. Um, I'm not getting what I need here. Let me go someplace else. And they don't get it there either, let me be honest, mm. because mm. the other company there doesn't have managers who are great leaders. Most managers get promoted because they're good at what they do, not yeah. because they're great at leading people, not because they have the tools and skills. I think Gallup came out with a study uh, on the, the state of the American manager. And again, I, I just want to be to clarify, this is the, the American manager, but I think it relates, is yeah. that only one in 10 have the tools and skills to lead people. And that doesn't mean it can't be coached. It doesn't mean it can't be developed. I, I know because I practice and develop the skills myself. I, I wasn't good at that. And I went through 200 hours of training to be a coach that I realized actually taught me how to be a better leader. Mm. Mm. And, that, and understanding how people tick. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, gone to the days when you know, I worked in the bank years and years ago when I was, you know, I started working when I was 16. So I worked for a long time in my life. And one of the things I noticed is the managers I went through, I mean, probably I can think of maybe two guys in, the, in all the managers all, all the 12 years that I worked there that were actually, I felt like leaders that you wanted to be like them or you wanted, they paid attention to you or there was one particular guy that, you know, made it his mission to get me promoted and he would keep on taking the HR manager to to lunch and asking him, you know, when's John getting promoted? When's John? It's like, I'll give in now, just give it to you. And how did you show up for that manager? Well, absolutely, 110%, because you knew that he believed in you, that he was trying his best to get you, um, you know, a promotion or get you to where you wanted to work rather than where they wanted you to work. Um, So the funny thing about it is where I wanted to work, I never got the, actually got the job, I got it somewhere else. But but eventually, I think I left because of the manager. I, the guy that I was working for was a, a crazy person. Like he, he, um, 
he was a situation where he's so paranoid about people um, doing making mistakes because he's about to retire soon, so he didn't want to you know jeopardise his his pension or anything like that. So he was very paranoid about anything to do with making decisions or lending money or doing anything. And so he was an absolute nightmare to work for. And so in the end, that's yeah, I left because I didn't really feel like I was going to get anywhere. This guy was going to grind me into the ground. Um, and the computer industry at the time was quite attractive, so I started my own computer company. But I think that you, you know, I think you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, without a manager driving that business, they're never going to, um, they're never going to get any sort of growth from the existing employees. They don't care as much ultimately about the the company that a manager is going to care about certain key factors to keep them in a job. You know, like and it's just making, making money. You know, <laughs> and it just turns out that. When a manager focuses their role on serving their employees to be as successful as possible, that's their best access to being as successful as possible in their role. And if all of my people, if all my direct reports are firing at all cylinders, I'm going to be successful because mm. my success is dependent on their success. And we don't often spend this because we go from individual contributor to team leader and we're still in the individual contributor mindset. We're still in the top performer mindset. But so how does it work? How does this sort of thing work online? I mean, when I when I was running an accounting software company, we had like twenty three staff, and I think the average age of the staff was something like twenty one, something like nineteen or twenty one, something like that. It's going back a few years now, but the reality was that they needed a reasonable amount of supervision. Um, some were really good, like they would, you know, at that time we, you know, let some of them work from home every so often. Nowadays, I really wish I could have done it then because of cloud, right? Because I can actually work. You know, these guys could work, could have worked from home and could sell millions of dollars on, on rent alone. Um, so if you've got someone like millennials that are working remotely and working, you know, say as contractors and people like that, because a lot of the entrepreneurs that we sort of have on the podcast show have their own business, but they don't necessarily have uh, many employees or they don't have people that actually see on a one-to-one basis. How do you manage someone remotely like that? Can you still... Um, get their growth and results? Is there a way to do it? Yeah, I have, I have a team member the same way. She, she's not full-time. She, we see each other every maybe month or two um, and we talk on the phone. What we do is, one, we set clear expectations for what's expected of you, what's there to be done, and how do we know if you're successful? Right? It's, like, it's, it's somewhat of the basics. Is how can we define success? How do we know that you're on that? there and then what are the ways in which we can track if you're getting close or you're not getting close and then in the conversations we have conversations about that right we're clear on that and i also talk to her as a person right how Mm. can i help you grow what skills can i help you develop what where do you want to grow and develop and how can i support you in that those conversations can happen over the phone it 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 makes you need more touch points Mm -hmm. to make sure you're still there and on point and sometimes you need to make sure you're video chatting or if you can, you're getting in front of the other person. But if you set up expectations so both parties know what's what they're responsible for, and then you show that you care and you help connect them, connect with them and help them grow and show that the work that they're doing actually has an impact, you can do all these things. Mm. So do you find, I mean, maybe it's just me, right? But And, and it happens with serious employees, but sometimes they stop working for you, particularly with the because I have a lot of remote employees, and they decide they're going to stop working for you, and then they just stop communicating. You, you don't hear from them again. They don't actually quit. <laughs> they just leave without telling you. 
Yeah, I actually I haven't experienced that myself, but the I've experienced that with other people. And what it is is, you know, people are uncomfortable with having tough conversations. Mm. They really are. They don't feel it's safe. They don't feel comfortable. They're not used to it. Now, this, the tip that I give is not going to guarantee you that people won't just be silent and what I call ghosting and just kind of not mm. come back. Mm. What it does do is set you up to have conversations about things more often. And it's being open. It's saying, how is this working for you? What's going on? Where are you at? What are you looking for? What are you looking to develop? What are you getting here? Right? Just being totally curious and open. And that's okay, especially if they're contractors. Right? It's not, you can't expect them to only be for you if you're only paying a part of what they can earn. Um, so be open about it. Have a conversation about it. Ask how you can support them in finding other things if they say they're looking for other things. And have that conversation. That way, one, you get the clarity if they're saying, you know what, I, stuff has changed in my life and I need to go in a different direction. So I can still do some work, but I need to figure out another way. Then you know, mm -hmm. hey, I've got two weeks, maybe a week left. You know, you can have a, a discussion like human beings, but we're just not, we're not used to that. Millennials aren't great at, at having those difficult conversations. It's easier just not to say anything, especially if we're remote. He might email mm -hmm. me a couple more times. Then I, if I just ignore it, then, then we're good. Go away. <laughs> then it'll go away. Yeah. Um, but if you, if you ha establish a relationship where you have conversations, the other person will feel bad doing that. And more often than not, they'll say, I owe it to John to actually have a conversation with him mm -hmm. or to pick up the phone when he calls. Mm. Yeah, no, it's pretty strange. Like it's happened a little bit lately is that people just sort of disappear on you. And it's like, well, you don't know what happened to them. Like I've got one particular person disappeared on me and I don't know whether something happened to them or, or what, you know what I mean? So sometimes it could have been something a bit more, um, you know, Dane, you know, like, you know, maybe they yep. got ill or something like that and they never communicated. But it's, yeah, quite bizarre. I just found it more so lately. So I don't know whether it's necessarily millennials that are doing it or if people are just a little bit more disconnected, particularly online, and they don't feel that closer connection that they've got to, um, they've got to actually mention the fact they're not coming to work anymore. <laughs> yeah. So here, here's, a, here's an analogy I like to use when I think about this. Um, as an entrepreneur, you, you do your own sales, right? You're, you're your sales engine. How many times have you had deals that you thought were going to happen that the other person on the other line never responded? Mm, mm. Has that happened to you before? Oh, yeah, tons of times. I mean, I always used to say that never assume anything in sales. If you assume they're going to go ahead, then you're wrong. If you assume they're not going to go ahead, you're wrong. <laughs> because those sales that you think are really easy are the ones that never happen. There you go. It's the same exact thing. Never assume anything with your employees. Mm. The same type of thing. The, the reason those people don't talk to you is because, and you had great conversations, right? I had, I had one a couple of months ago. Fantastic conversation, we're going back and forth. Then nothing happened, right? I think they went another direction, but they won't even respond. Mm, mm. It's more likely, not that that person's a bad person, not that that person, you know, is trying to lead me on. It's that they're uncomfortable telling me, you know what, you're not the right fit. Mm. You know what, I wanna go in another direction. That's deeply discomfort, discomforting for people to, to make somebody else uncomfortable, to give mm -hmm. them hard feedback. And so mm -hmm. think about it that way with those employees is that in all likelihood, if I put my, my millennial hat on is I don't know how to tell them no. I don't know how to say I'm, I'm done. I don't know how to say I took a different opportunity or I was looking for one while I was doing work for you. And so that it's the same thing as like 
for you, it's just take, take, take that same perspective as with sales. You don't know. Mm. 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 Yeah, absolutely. And, and you sit there and every so often you wonder what happened to them. And you think, I wonder what <clears throat> we had. Even when back when we had employees come to work, we had a couple of cases where one particular employee went to lunch and we never saw her again. It's like she only was there for one day and, and then and she went to lunch and we never saw her again. So we assumed she took off, but <laughs> we couldn't find her. And um, it's like bizarre. And um, you just think to yourself, well, you know, send your text message, do something. Don't just just disappear because, um, you know, sometimes it might have been something, you know, um, you know, we didn't have her contact details at the time because we were still setting her up. And so we didn't have any way of contacting anyone else. So it was like bizarre. So... Yeah, I guess um, it's not an admirable way to end a, a relationship, a work relationship, for sure. Mm, yeah, uh, not yeah. admirable at all, not ideal. Um, and yet, when it happens, you know, the only thing you could do is is hope and pray that the person's okay, and and work mm. to set up relationships with the people before that that before that might happen, and, and have mm. open and honest conversations, and say, hey, if you're ever planning on leaving, I'm not going to be mad. Let's just talk about it. Right? Don't feel like you have to ever run away just let me know and maybe i can help you so here's a good one i've got an i've got a um she's a millennial and she comes she wants to work for me so she comes to work for me and and i give her a chance and then she blows the chance and so i say you're fired um and then she disappears for a while and comes back and she wants to work for me again and then i'll hire her again and I say, look you can't let me down this time and she lets you down and so now I just say, look, there's no way I'm doing it because she's done it several times. She's a very good employee, like a very good employee. I wouldn't do it for someone who I didn't um, believe who were, you know, could really do this. She's very fast. You know, one of these people that you can tell them something and then a couple of minutes later they're telling you. And But she can never get her to stick and stay, stay put. It's almost like she's got attention deficit disorder or something. She just takes off on you um, and doesn't commit. So those sort of people, you're just better off without them. Or is it, you think there's some way of calling them back from that when they're really good? Like it, that's the frustrating part. Well, oftentimes we're people are jumping from job to job because they're not really clear on what their purpose is, mm. why they're here, what they're what they're doing, and so they're searching for it. And they might not even know they're searching for it. They're just saying, "I don't, I'm not fulfilled here, and I'm not feeling the purpose here." And yet, I'll, I'll find it somewhere else, and then I'll go back and I'll find it they're not clear on it themselves. So one of the things that you can do with those employees is help them get clear on what they want for themselves, mm, what fills mm. them up, what excites them. And I know it sounds very touchy-feely, mm. but that's, you know, it's, it's kind of like the midlife crisis is becoming a quarter-life crisis. The midlife crisis, which is like, what <laughs> do I want for myself? What do I care about? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? Right? Those questions start to happen at 22, 23, 24, 25, more like mm. 27. Um, but mm. it happens at those ages. And so as their boss, as their leader, you can start to ask that of them and have them think about it. And it's not your responsibility. No. But if, if you're trying to think about how can I engage with this person, how can I engage with this population and give myself a better chance of retaining them, then that will help you be better at retaining them. And, it's, and it can be simple as, you know, what skills do you want to develop? And what will mm. that give you? Yeah. And, and what what's your purpose here why are you doing the work you're doing why is it important to you yeah no i think that's you're right i mean when we used to run a lot of employees the ones that were stars were the ones that knew they were going somewhere and i think one of the things that i i see sort of seems to be going away nowadays which is something we did a lot was was sort of staff reviews or appraisals or whatever you like um 
and I think there's a, a fine line between um, sort of criticizing someone to a point where they feel like you like you know the old review where you get in there and the boss will tell you all the bad things about you and a couple of good things and that would be it um, but more about focusing on that scenario you know where are you going what are you doing next all that sort of stuff um, I think made a huge difference for us to be able to understand what they wanted and, and head off at a pass sometimes when because unfortunately those reviews always come about money conversations as well because they'd always say okay what's well, my time for my annual review or six monthly review it's time to you know obviously I'm getting a pay increase or I'm not and if they don't get a pay increase on the way out the door they felt like they they failed their review anyway so we used to try and coordinate it at all at the same time have a pay increase as part of what they did um, so we could control the pay increases so otherwise they're in there every five minutes looking for more money um, and the reality was that I found that that worked really well is having that conversation <clears throat> but those conversations didn't happen for at least six or 12 months. And, and sometimes I think that's too long out. Yeah, I recommend, I call these stay interviews, uh, kind of mm. the opposite of exit interviews, where it doesn't always need to be as deep as what's your life's purpose, but it's, it's what skills are you looking to develop and how can I support you? Um, it's not what role are you looking to get next, it's what skills are you looking to develop and how can I support you? Um, and it could be you know, for coffee outside of the office, it could be for lunch, it doesn't need to be in this formal scenario where we're reviewing things. It's just a conversation person to person, but you are mm -hmm. there, the owner of their growth, so you get to help support them and move them on that. Um, and I suggest having those once a month, um, mm -hmm. just to touch base, because people's perspectives change, especially young people. They're constantly learning, seeing, experiencing different things, and they might say one thing one month and say, you know what, their mind might change, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with your mind changing. Uh, that happens to all of us. Uh, mm. Instead of saying, oh, how dare you? You told me this once. It's like, mm. yeah, that's what I thought I wanted to do. And you know what? I experienced it and it's not what I want to do. We're mm. all entitled to that. You've had no a number of career changes. You know, who's to say that that's wrong? No one. It's your life. Yeah. And I think that's the thing you've got to be aware of. And sometimes like, we've, we've let people go because the reality is it wasn't a fit for them. It certainly wasn't a fit for us. And, and really all you're doing is holding them back from because um, they're going to get toxic in the business anyway and the business is going to, you know, it's going to, going to be a result of both parties being unhappy. So I think pulling the pin early when someone who's, or finding another job, like we've found situations where we've had staff where we've actually found them another job um, because they weren't going to, they weren't going to work out. Um, and it makes it much easier for them and much easier for us too because they go away thinking, oh, well, they did the right thing by me. You know, they didn't actually fire me as such, they found me somewhere else. Hey, if it's not a fit, the worst mm. thing you can do is keep somebody on mm. because they're not operating at their best. And do you think they're happy with it? Do you think they feel mm. good about it? Do you think it's exciting for them? No, they're not in a good place either. And that's one of the hardest thing when I work with leaders is to say, hey, if it's not a fit, you got to be clear because mm. you're not serving. You're not helping the other person by, by dragging him along. You're just making it worse for them. They might not appreciate the fact that you fire them right now. But you know what? It's it's the right thing for them in the long run because if they're yeah. not performing, they're not in a place where they're at their best, give them a chance to figure out where that place is or help them find that place. Mm, put them on some pressure. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? But it's mm. it's the truth. They, they We get comfortable and we're afraid of change even if it's at the, the sake of us not doing something that we're at our best, even if it's at the sake of us not being happy, being fulfilled because it's comfortable, it's safe. Mm. And a change mm. is scary. But you know what? That change might be the impetus that helps you find out what fulfills you. And it might not. It might take another one or two. Um, but hopefully that, that's what it does. And if you're 
a thoughtful manager, you can actually help try and find the right seat for that person within your organization, try and find the right skill sets for that person to see if it's a fit. And if ultimately you exhaust your options and it's not a fit, then that person will know. It shouldn't be a surprise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most people I've fired, they knew it was coming. A couple didn't, but <laughs> probably they, because they weren't self-aware. They weren't aware of what's going on around them. So I think that's it's probably important. I think the you learn for more from getting fired from a job than ever being hired for a job. I reckon, <laughs> because at least we learn far more from our mistakes mm. than our successes. Mm. So tell me what makes a leader great. Like um, just to sort of wrap things up um, in terms of as we spoke about a couple of things, and obviously is growth and purpose is, is the two things that, I guess there's two things you need to focus on, particularly with millennials, although ultimately I think nowadays it's probably anybody, but yep. get what you're going from there. So what happens, what makes a leader great? What do they, what do they need to do to, um, to pull this off? So great leaders and, and you know, validate this against any leaders that you've worked with and thought were great are, are really master motivators. They really have this ability to evaluate situations, right? What to do, what not to do, how, how does this seem, right? They're great at evaluation. They're clear, direct, honest in their communication, and they realize that they can't lead unless they're serving others. Leading is actually about serving my team, serving mm -hmm. my team to be at its best. Those are, so motivation, evaluation, communication, and service, those are the, you know, the traits of a great leader, but does a great leader go into the day and say, I'm going to go motivate someone today? Mm. No, because you don't just go motivate. There's actually an underlying practice, an underlying habit that they have. Um, and the way I talk about it is the habit of listening with intention and attention will be what unlocks motivation in your people. The habit of asking powerful questions, of being really curious is what allows you to really evaluate teams, people, situations. It's when you stop assuming you know the answer and you start asking. The habit of communicating directly is how you get good at communicating directly. You have to practice it. You have to put some things in place. You have to be clear and honest so the person knows where they stand. And then you really serve people when you practice the habit of holding critical conversations. So if there's something that needs to be said in a critical way, you hold that critical conversation. And that really serves the other person. Okay, makes sense. Great. So, can you tell me a little bit about? Um, I guess it's, we call it, we call it the shameless uh, promotion part of the of the podcast, where you talk about what you do, and and I guess the other thing too, as we always ask, is you know who's your best customer, who you're looking for, in terms of of doing business with. Um, so, tell me a little bit about how they can get hold of you, who you're looking for, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, first, what we do is we actually what I just described to you. Uh, the different habits is we train leaders on those four distinct habits, listening, asking powerful questions, communicating directly, and holding critical conversations. We train leaders on those four habits over three, four-month period. It's actually 12 weeks. So that mm -hmm. by the end of that 12 weeks, they have those habits. They're better able to lead their people. They're not just, they don't just know what to do. They actually know how to practice it. It's a habit in their lives. Um, so that's the primary work we do at Raise the Bar is we give leaders the habits of a leader. Um, and ideal clients for us are leadership teams of eight or above, um, teams that have you know people who touch um, other lives, right? Managers, leaders, bosses, whatever you call them in your organization. Um, if you have a team of eight or more, those are great teams that we love to work with and, and really help give them the tools and skills to be better leaders of people. 
if, if that makes sense and that works for you and this is something that interests you, you can always reach out to me directly at A-A-R-O-N, Aaron, at raisebar.co um, or at our website, www.raisebar.co. So that's R-A-I-S-E-B-A-R.co. Great. That's fantastic. So um, I really appreciate you coming on and it's um, an interesting subject and it's, um, it's actually quite timely, I suppose, because as I said, I've employed my son and now I've got to try and um, try to motivate him and, and get him involved in the business. And as I said, it's a very, you know, I guess at the end of the day, he's very focused on growth and, and I don't know about purpose yet, but I'm sure that growth is the sort of thing he's looking for. So it's, it's interesting, I suppose, at that point in their age when they're like 18 or something like that, they they don't really know what they want to do ultimately. I mean, I didn't know when I was 18 either. Yeah, no, it's, and they're going to be exploring and he's going to be playing and he's going to be figuring it out and that's mm. part of growing up. That's part yeah. of working. You don't know. How are you supposed to know before? Um, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and she was having a real tough time. She's like, I just don't know what I should be doing. And I said, welcome to the club. <laughs> I don't think with... anybody really knows what yeah. they're doing right in life. They're just yeah. pretending they know. <laughs> you know what? You got time. You just get to be yourself and figure it out. And that means putting yourself, John, in their shoes and having some compassion for the fact that that these are all new experiences and people might not know what they want. And, and the fact that you ask that question, just even asking somebody that question, has them start to think about it, has them start mm-hmm. to gain clarity on it. They might not have an answer right away, but I bet you the next time you talk to them, they might have a better idea. Um, mm-hmm. And it keeps mm-hmm. refining and keeps changing. And then at some point, um, hopefully earlier than later, you connect with what you're here for. I mean, me, I was able to figure it out um, in my first role, I, I'm here to help people unlock their potential. Um, mm. That's what fills me up. That's what gets me excited. That's why I do what I do. That's why I started this business. Um, so I don't have a question of, of, of that. I, I'm very connected and dialed in, and it makes it very easy for me to do the work that might not be fun to do in a business um, mm. and to put the time in and to, and to get excited about interviews like this just as much as I get excited about a coaching call that I had right before you. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no. It's it, it, once you yeah absolutely once you get up in the board, bed in the morning and, and want to do something, I think that's the best um, best thing ever. All right. Well, um, thanks again. And um, as I said, if you're interested in, in Aaron's um, methodologies and ideas, and if you're employing millennials, it's probably a good idea to, to have a chat with him about that because um, yeah, I think you've got to think about it differently. Um, and I think a lot of the managers probably are looking at what they used to do or the way that they used to be managed. And I think that's that's changed a lot now. So. Really appreciate your time and and hope to talk to you again soon. Well, thank you for having me on, John. You've just been listening to another great Evolvepreneur podcast interview. We hope you enjoyed it. Please visit evolvepreneur.biz today to find out more about our online community and how you can take part. 